Welcome to The Director's Take, a podcast where we explore how you go from directing something with your mates to being the most senior decision maker on a film set. I'm Marcus Thomas. And I'm Oz Arshad, and we are both writer-directors at the beginning of our TV and feature film directing journeys. The pathway doesn't exist, so we are going to do our best to help you bridge the gap. So, there's a saying that 90% of directing is casting. And one of the most important relationships that you have with anyone on a film set as a director is, is with your cast. And in true Directors Take podcast form, we have a very talented, hardworking, prolific individual. Our guest is a Lambda-trained actor, and since graduating in 2003, he has worked his socks off and is prolific as ever on stage, in TV and in film. My theory actually is that everyone in England has seen him in something. So I want to mention some of the things that is, some of the roles that he's been in. Black Mirror... White Van Man, Benidorm, Casual Air, Hustle, Fresh Meat, Lilyhammer, Silent Witness, W1A, Jekyll and Hyde, Crashing, Midsummer Murders, Johnny English Strikes Again, Doctor Who, Last Christmas, The Witcher, His Dark Materials, The Other One, Death in Paradise, and most recently, he played a rogue pharmacist in Happy Valley. And he also won a Biffa Award for Best Actor in the short film Big Ears. Welcome to the director's take, Amit Shah. Thanks, guys. Wow, when you list my credits like that, it's quite overwhelming. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty fancy, isn't it? I saw the other day my um my, one of my friends um, on Twitter. He was basically saying like, when you get so caught up in just like working and finding the next job and doing the industry, you kind of forget to stop and take stock of everything. So, I mean, hearing that must be quite. <laughs> It's just saying overwhelming because it's it's rare you actually take the time to think. Oh, I've done all that stuff. Yeah, and. You forget how long you've been doing it for um, because, yeah, I graduated 20 years ago and time does fly. And then when you are working on jobs and some of these jobs are, you know, one day jobs, you know, you go in as a day player. And so you do accumulate all those credits. Yeah. And it's quite overwhelming when you hear them read back to you. It's impressive. Uh, well, we've got something else we'll be reading that in a second, which is great. I'll, I'll, I'll just go into this. So I want to give a shout out, first of all, to writer-director Sam Barron, who helped us set this up, who's um, become a frequent and long-term collaborator of yours, Amit, and he's a great person. And we've had him on the podcast as well. Um, yeah. And um, just in terms of heritage, are you South Asian heritage, right? Yeah. So my grandparents are from India, a place called Gujarat in India. And yeah. Uh, they moved to East Africa maybe in the early 1900s and um, that's where my parents were born in Kenya and then uh, they moved uh, with a lot of their other relatives to the UK in the late 60s, early 70s and so I was brought here, um, born and brought up here. So it's a weird, if you listen to my dad's accent for example it's a weird mix between uh, indian kind of kenyan and english because he spent mm. most of his time here so it's a it's a weird yeah mix but that is quite a common um story for a lot of people that you know lots of indians um did reside in east africa those countries there yeah cool and what I found like really interesting was the range of roles that you've done, you know, given your heritage, you know, it, it was astounding. Like, you know, 
the, ra- the your range is evident by the names of the characters that you played over the years, right? <laughs> so I'm gonna go through this, right? So you've played two Vikrams, yeah. two Faisals, two Jeremys, two Khans, a Rahul, a Rafiq, a Reza, a Raj, and a Rashid, a Vinny, a Vithwanath, and a Varon, a Jack, a Jake, a Nigel, and a Neil. <laughs> That's Neil, not Anil, as in Anil Kapoor. A Matthew, a Mark, a John, yet to play a Luke. And since this podcast is hosted by a Marcus and an Oz, you've played a Marcus and you've played an Oswald, which technically could be short. <laughs> wow. wow. So if you could give us a brief overview of why and how you got into acting, Amit. Okay, uh, an overview. When I was brought up and my early ch- kind of childhood days, and I don't think this is a malicious negative thing, but it was always um, instilled in us to value security and uh, not be a risk taker, I guess. And um, I think that meant not going into the art. And I guess with that kind of immigrant mentality, it was taught to kind of blend into the background. And that wasn't kind of exclusive, but it was part of your upbringing. You know, you just don't make a fuss, you know, they've let us into this country, don't make us just blend into the background, try and be invisible. Um, be on your best behaviour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, don't draw any attention to yourself. And for some reason, as I was probably um, leaving primary school and then uh, starting secondary school, that was, it, it was jarring for me um, because... I think I needed attention uh, from people and family and and all sorts. So um, when I was uh, doing drama classes, you know, as as part of the curriculum at at secondary school, I recognized that that did get me attention and and specifically laughs. And that was quite a magical feeling, I guess, and quite addictive as well. And from that, you, you know, as, as the years pass, you, you start to develop an appreciation for, um, creativity and, and the art, uh, of kind of drama and acting in, in general. But yeah, I think to begin with, it was this, um, fascination when people laughed at what you were doing and, and. It didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to laugh with you. It was sometimes they laughed at you. That was quite interesting as well, um, because you could use that. Yeah, as I started to kind of go through secondary school, I was um, getting more and more interested in drama and film in particular and acting. And um, I think when I was 16, I was cast. um, Well, every year the the school would do a a school play, uh, which was kind of an extracurricular thing. And you had to audition for it. And uh, I'd never been in one. And when I was 16, my drama teacher um, said, why don't you audition? And suddenly I got the lead in that school play and uh, probably upset a few people because (laughs) there were some students who had been in the school play, you know, every year since they were 11. And Mm. yeah, so that happened. And that kind of gave me a real experience of what it was to experience... um, or, or play a character from um, start to finish, and and really appreciate a through line of a character in a in a piece of drama. Um, 
especially because it was theatre and, you know, you were experiencing that every night, um, you know, for two hours or whatever, hours long the show was. Yeah, that kind of persuaded me to apply to do drama at university. I didn't have the confidence to go straight to a drama school. So I went to university first, uh, did a three-year degree, got involved in the drama society. So whenever I wasn't doing drama for the course, I was doing it, you know, for the society. And that was my life for three years. I was completely immersed in, you know, acting. And then uh, my tutor said, why don't you apply to do a course at a drama school? So I did. Uh, I got into Lambda to do a postgraduate classical acting course. And whilst I was there, I started to audition. It was open auditions for um, a show called Bombay Dreams, which was an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. And yeah, I had seven different auditions. I got the part before I graduated and had to ask the principal if I could leave one term early to start. Uh, the job, um, start rehearsals and still graduate. And he was very kind. His name is Peter James. And he said, look, we're here to help you get a job and facilitate that. So yeah, I, we will allow you to graduate and please start your rehearsals. So yeah, I did, went into a, that was my first job doing a 12 month, uh, West End theatre run, uh, in a big musical. Um, eight shows a week, yeah, for for 12 months. And I really learnt a lot on the job. That must have really, like, set you up, like, you know, doing that level of consistency in performing publicly. Like, what what, what do you think that did for your craft? I think it just supplemented uh, what I was learning at drama school, and it was straight after. So it was was very useful because everything we were learning at drama school, you, you know, we weren't able to put that into practice in a professional way, but I was because I went straight into it. Um, so that was really helpful. Uh, I didn't have an agent because I went through open auditions. So I found an agent, uh, whilst I was uh, doing that show and yeah, I think it was a really good learning experience, stepping stone and enjoyable experience really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that you did graduate early and you started in that, and then you did TV and film. You know, you, you did that regularly, and then kind of like in the middle of the 2000s, it felt like there was a little bit of a shift and you started to do shorts, and you've now wrapped up an impressive 16 or so short films. Did you do some before as well, sorry? Uh, some shorts? Um, possibly, but not uh, not as many. It was, yeah, maybe one or two, but... Um... And, then, and my question was like, how come you kind of decided, right, I'm going to include this as well, short films into my sort of, you know, work, the work that I'm choosing to do? Yeah, I think it, it was partly a practical thing. Um, because I did theatre for about eight or ten years after drama school, and the aim was always to be able to work uh, on screen as well. And... That's a whole different ball game, I think. Getting a job uh, mm. on TV and film, and um, there's a lot of competition, and it's very much based on profile. And to some extent, theatre is as well. But for film and TV, it, it really is. Um, so I was getting quite frustrated, I guess, um, that you know I was going in and 
playing very, very small parts. And again, you have to remember at that time, it wasn't in terms of uh, diversity and representation, it wasn't like it is today. And there was no way that I was going to be seen even for a leading role in for a film or TV show. And, and so that was another obstacle, I guess. I, I didn't realize the power of shorts at that point, but it was a, yeah, in a practical way, it was allowing me to do, do a short project that, um, didn't have a lot of commitment. It was, you know, shot over two or three days and it, it allowed me to explore playing a central role in a project and, and have a real through line and a character arc. And I started to understand how um, important shorts were in terms of yeah, promoting who you are and not just for the actor, but for the filmmaker as well. You know, uh, shorts were being used as proof of concept type projects and a, a way to uh, allow directors or filmmakers to show what they could do on a very, you know, with a very small budget so that they could add that to their portfolio and say, look, I've made this, I'm ready to work on a, a bigger project or a more long form mm. project, which I guess you guys have experienced. Yeah. And and do you see, you know, the, the sort of like your approach as an actor different from, say like a no budget short, like, you know, the orgy where the director's partner's making the sandwiches. And then in the same 12 months, you went on doing Doctor Who on TV and then you went and did um, Johnny English strikes again. Is your approach different in those things? Obviously, I know that there's obviously different levels, but, you know, just from your approach as an actor to the roles. I guess on shorts, the best way I can describe it is this, a real family feel to it. Everyone gets stuck in and you're all, look, they're, they're passion projects, right? And everyone's getting stuck in and working collaborate uh, in a collaborative way you get more of a sense that everyone's on the same level uh and i really enjoy that i mean from an acting perspective it's always the same it's you know finding moments of truth uh finding moments that are very um compelling to watch and um are interesting dramatically and comedically i guess yeah i think that's part of the charm of shorts you know um that there's this real intimate kind of family feel to that uh, kind of way of working. Um, and I definitely felt that with all the films that I've done with Sam. He's so focused on including everyone and uh, treating everyone with respect. Um, one of the most important kind of rules that he's, he's learned is to learn everyone's name and try and uh, interact and connect with everyone on set. And that's something that Sam always does. But, you know, someone like Emma Thompson, who I've worked with a couple of times, she does as well. She will learn even the essays in the scene. She will learn their names. She'll get the call sheet. I mean, <clears throat> she may need some help from her, her PA, but she will make a special effort to make sure everyone feels included and everyone's on the same level there's no kind of hierarchy that does a lot doesn't it because i think when you're i think it's it's difficult to i think as you get higher up to know how important that is and the 
amount of weight your words suddenly carry. Like say if you're a director working at a high level um, or like you're a high level actor, it's the onus is almost on you to include everyone else and to kind of have those conversations and initiate the relationships because people are going to be either like intimidated or they might not think it's professional for whatever reason because of the hierarchy to actually reach out and, and speak to people, right? Because um, say like, for example, you say of Emma Thompson, there's times when we're also, we're on the set of House of Dragons, like, and the actor's kind of just there, and you don't know whether to speak to them because you don't know what's going through their head or whether they're trying to prepare. So, like, you can't be the one to have that chat. It's almost on them to like come up to you and and do that. Yeah, I, I respect that. Yeah, actors will need time to and and privacy and um, quiet to. Uh, creatively do what they need to do but I, I, I guess I, and maybe I was focusing on Sam because he was the director and, and it's such a crucial role because you know you're there mm. from the start of the process to the end and you're the point of contact for a lot of people um, yeah it's important to have that general feel of you know I'm, I appreciate that you're there um, but yes for, for actors I mean, look, I've, I've been in that situation where you just need to walk away for a bit and uh, gather your thoughts and focus on what you're trying to achieve or what your intention might be for the scene or even just to kind of get rid of that so that you can go in and try something new or free and, and be free and, and try something fresh. Yeah, it's it's a tricky thing, I think. Um, you know, that, that hierarchy system where we were talking about I, I guess when people get, have bigger roles and more responsibility you feel that weight and you can get overwhelmed by it and you become very busy and that's why sometimes you may feel that you don't have time to connect with everyone um, but you know it's it's a really fine balance it's, it's a juggling act and um I feel, yeah, people like Sam do it very, very well. Mm. Yeah. It's very important. I, m I remember a time when I was working on a film set for the first time and I look back now, I'm like, it was such a stupid thing to do. So basically like there was a really, it was like the emotional peak and I was like in charge of locking off, making sure that no one was coming through the door because the, ac the actress was like preparing to walk through and like basically do her massive sort of emotional scene. And I had no clue or semblance of what was going on other than that I was just locking this place off. And so like, she was sat on the stairs, like reading a poem. I was just like, oh, what are you reading? She's like, oh, it's just this poem. And she's like starting to cry. <laughs> I'm just like still trying to chat to her, like completely oblivious to the entire thing. Yeah. Um, but do you know and what? I look back on that now, like I shouldn't have even... And because then, like a few takes later, because I was just carrying on, she was like a bit further down the uh, hallway okay, away from okay. me. I'm like, yeah, I should have just shut. I mean, um, look. but it's literally like the second time I've been on a set. <laughs> that's not the worst <laughs> thing uh, that's ever happened, I'm sure. Uh, but you know, you you'll remember that, and you'll kind of be aware of. And, and look, actors work in different ways, um, but I guess yeah, you'll always remember that and be aware of how. Um, that actor in particular uh, needed to work, but um, and and you know what? Maybe that was a good thing for her to, because sometimes <laughs> when you're trying to prep for a scene, 
and then you go into it and sometimes there's a block and um, I bet that kind of casual chat with her where you know she did start crying was probably a useful thing for her in, in some way yeah um, hopefully she wasn't crying because of me no yeah. no no, no so what sure you <laughs> but you know I, I what's that on your phone? I find um <laughs> the kind of 80s and, and runners on on um sets they become like your closest friends um yeah because they're there you know they're for, they're for you and they're very very supportive as well as your yeah. cast and you know your other crew and your director and producers but you know the runners are there um looking after you making sure that you know you're 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 good at every point of the day so, absolutely yeah, i really appreciate you don't know what they're going to go on to do either so be nice to exactly everyone. no that is so true i mean because that's the way that industry works, I guess. You know, a lot of um, um, people who want to go into directing and, and producing will start as runners. Um, and yeah, you never know. They, they could be like a genius writer or director and they're just waiting for their break. <laughs> exactly that. Um, so yeah, with that also, I was going to ask, so you've worked on shorts, I assume, of a with a variety of directors so what what's that like how do you kind of try to ascertain what direction they're trying to give you when it might not be clear or it might be a bit floundering compared to someone who might be more seasoned and economical in the direction they're giving unless they're exactly the same who knows well sometimes i feel that with uh, shorts um because they're so kind of compact the, the director always has a very um clear view of what they want and um you know, if you've been asked to come on board, they're very interested in how you work and there's a willingness to be collaborative. And, but, you know, if there isn't a, an incident or a time you're not getting clarity, then I think it's best to just be totally open with them. And on a short, you know, sometimes you feel more comfortable to do that. You know, if you just say, look, I, I don't know how to achieve what you're trying to ask me to do. So um, can we break it down or, or try in a different way or, or you know, um, expand on that? What what do you mean? And and then sometimes it means going back to the script and tweaking a line or um, playing a scene in a very different way and it unlocks something. You know, I know that there's limited time on shorts, but there's opportunity to do that, I think, uh, especially the experiences I've had. Yeah, it's it's about, you know, you're all trying to achieve the same thing. And like I said before, shorts are very much passion projects and, and people aren't there for the money. The people are there for the opportunity and the potential of that. And, you know, being a part of a project that is very collaborative. You, you, with shorts, you don't find you have exec producers <laughs> on set uh, watching the rushes, thinking, and then making notes and saying, "Oh, you know, uh, she shouldn't be wearing this or this." You know, it's it's very different to uh, <laughs> I don't know a Netflix film, maybe. Yeah, TV and film land is very very different. Yeah, in in that respect. What I admire about you know looking at your 
you know your what, what your work on IMDb. I like that you you know sometimes you can get with actors they don't want to work on short films because they might see it as a step back, but actually you by doing short films you know you 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 found one of your closest collaborators now you know through Sam, um, and now you've done a trilogy of short films all of which I've seen now, and um, it's a great it's really great to see that kind of growth in your relationship. Um, and how that's translated on screen, I think that it is, it's, it is important because that that you know that, that there are you know short films that are available and that you can access like you know like re- really good cast like yourself because for directors it's really difficult it's difficult to try and cast someone who's really really good and when you've got someone like yourself because you I remember there was one point I think I went to a festival I can't remember I went to a few festivals that time a few years ago. And there were about four shorts with you in it. <laughs> I was like, man, he's a short man. He's there. Yeah. That happened in Norwich. I was there and there was, I think you were in Big Ears and you're also in uh, Kate McCoy's film. Um, oh, yeah. If you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah my my yeah. first dick. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe that's a timing thing because with shorts sometimes, yeah, the, the festival run, I, I, I don't know how it works, but sometimes you do find that a lot of the shorts are kind of released at the same time, but I do appreciate them. And I will always be open to, um, making shorts. If there are directors out there, um, who are feeling slightly, um, anxious about asking, uh, more experienced actors or kind of more profile, high profile actors to be in a short, I would say just go for it because if the writing's good and the vision's interesting for actors, they're not big commitments, you know, the two or three days, which you can slot in. And it's, it's a good way to, to kind of work with directors who are up and coming and haven't found their platform yet. And you know, those directors of the future, you will kind of come across these, these gems, um, uh, when, when you start working on shorts. Uh, you know, with, with Sam, his first shot was the orgy, and he asked me to play the lead in that. And he got a, a casting director on board called Lauren Evans, who probably was starting out at that time. She worked, I think, with Nina Gold as an assistant or an associate for quite a few years, and so she was working on her own projects. And she was brilliant, and she told him, I think, to be as ambitious as possible. So with the orgy, I mean, that cast is ridiculous. It's awesome. When you look at it now as well, especially like yeah. like who's in it, like with time passing, it's only gotten better. I mean, like household names almost, and, you know, coming in to play small, small parts. Yeah. I mean, he was very ambitious and it worked out because the concept was good. The writing was good. And I, I think Sam's a, a real genius and... He's always looking to learn more and more, and uh, from each experience he he has. But yeah, the orgy was a real special experience. I think. Yeah. <laughs> See, it feels weird to say that, but uh... <laughs> the film, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think for me, you know, with something like that, what I found really refreshing was I'd never seen a South Asian char- actor or character or both really, in a situation like that. And there was no reference to him being. No, and, and, and I really liked that. I really liked that, you know, 
um, that that was something fresh to see. Which brings me on to my next question is that, do you think that the industry has changed over the years for South Asian actors and stories? Um, I think there is, you know, a change. Like you were saying earlier on, you know, it was difficult for you to get a look in as a lead in on some things. And I think that the tropey kind of like spices and Bollywood and dancing and all that's gone. And, 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 and now it's moved on. But I do see a lot of like dramas with South Asian actors in it. And the guy kind of like giving straight English names, which isn't a story point about, you know, the anglicization of names, which would happen with people of our generation. Um, but yeah, have you, have you seen a slow shift in recent years? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Um, I mean, picking up on what you said about names, um, how I guess early on when I was start working professionally, it comes from the writing, you know, uh, a lot of the writers uh, and maybe they'd been, you know, uh, directed that way by commissioners, producers, whoever they'd written scripts with white characters for white actors, right? And all the names were white, uh, unless there was a specific storyline and then you introduce a more kind of ethnic name, I guess. <laughs> but I, yeah, I remember there was this one experience. It was a, a feature film and all the characters were kind of English white names. And I had br been brought in um, I was probably the only non-white actor in the cast and I was playing a character, I don't know, well, I won't say the name, was. maybe it was something like Matt or something, Matthew. And uh, Yeah, you did play Matthew, I've got it on the list. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> maybe it wasn't that then. Um, but yeah, I remember doing a read-through and, um, you know, I'd, I'd been cast and, you know, everyone had been cast and we are doing a read-through and then we had a few kind of, questions afterwards and I just said I mean at that time I said personally I, I don't know any Matthews who look like me so um, do you want to explore changing the name I mean you know it wasn't a huge thing but I just threw that question out and the response I got from the first AD was it's fine it, look, if we have to change the name then we have to change all the scripts uh you know there's lots of changes there yeah, I mean, you can't like, do that just, yeah. yeah that's a lot of money uh but, you know it's been set let's just leave it as that it's fine you you know you'll be fine it's it uh you could pass us in that um and i just remember thinking okay that's where we're at okay cool um but yeah, things have changed, you know, um, there's a lot more awareness, um, and you're more likely to find a non-white actor in a leading role, um, playing a part where the, the storyline has nothing to do with his, uh, race, uh, or cultural ba background. It's about characters and it's about human beings. And uh, so in that sense, I feel it has changed. Um, sometimes I feel like the younger actors who are kind of coming into it now think that it was always like this. And it certainly wasn't. Okay. There was, it, it was always depressing, you know, uh, when I was starting out that you, you could see the success other people were getting. You thought that's never going to happen. So the best we can do is trying to s steal a scene here and there and, and maybe 
get a nice supporting role of the best friend or the best mate role and and just kind of have a, a steady career. And so your ambitions and your dreams and your hopes and everything were always capped. And that was quite, that's quite depressing. Mm -hmm. um, so things have opened up a lot and thankfully people are beginning to understand that you don't have to be white to be a good actor, I guess. Or, or to exist, I yeah. think is, is the thing. Is that <laughs> like, yeah, like to be involved in stories which aren't necessarily culturally specific, but you're just existing like everyone else. Sure. Imagine that. So uh, just to dig into the, the crafty craft aspect of it, what would you say your process is in, in breathing life into characters and, and what information do you need in order to like, um, to craft that and to collaborate with the, how do you collaborate with the director in, in, within your process? Um, yeah, so it's always, you know, your first point of call is, is always, you know, the script and the writing and d d depending on the, the style and tone, it's always trying to find, uh, the truth and trying to make the dialogue not feel like dialogue and you're very comfortable just delivering it and yeah as a human being and and making it your own yeah sometimes when i'm learning lines i recognize if i take a step back a bit uh, i recognize that oh i'm learning it uh or i'm delivering it as if i've learned it and then i have to ask myself how would i say that in an everyday situation, how would it just kind of f flow out of my mouth um, in normal, naturalistic conversation? And um, sometimes you have to tap into that a little bit and learn it in that way. But yeah, it, it always come. You always go back to the script. Um, and if there's, I mean, when I'm working with Sam, for example, if there are lines that just in terms of rhythm or uh, the order of words that just doesn't work. I have a confidence now to say to Sam, yeah, there's something that's kind of jarring with the rhythm of this. Can we, can we tweak it or uh, can you explain to me a specific reason for this ordering? Um, yeah, we, we work on that. Sorry, I thought that's gotten what you were asking. No, but that's, that's really sort of, let's say beautiful in terms of your relationship that you feel comfortable enough to do that mm. and would you say that's the sort of thing you do say in tv land where or or like film land where if something in terms of the dialogue is not quite like flowing for you you'd kind of interrogate or ask if there's can, can be tweaks done or or things like this. um i think you have to choose your battles or, or choose your moments to do that but i mean uh i mean mm. the first thing i'm thinking is it's been written a very specific way so I must honor that and um, how do I adjust myself to make that work uh, and make that feel real and natural and truthful? Is it there's something I'm missing, you know? Uh, could I leave a tiny bit here? Uh, or could I make this into a new thought uh, to make that dialogue work in the way it's written on the page? But if it isn't, then you, yeah, you go to your director and say, is it just me? I, I'm finding that a little tricky or I'm stumbling on that every time I deliver it. And it might be something you haven't realized um, uh, that, you know, the directors are able to kind of uh, enlighten, enlighten you about. And that's kind of my process. Um, 
Yeah, you have to be careful. But if there is some a suggestion you want to make, you you have to question yourself firstly that um, is that a realistic thing that might be changed, and will it help? Uh, will it benefit the scene and the, the script? And sometimes, yeah, I would make suggestions. I'd say like 70 percent of the time they they work. <laughs> it, it, you know. Um, the it's direct, a good hit, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> but you have to be, you have to really analyze it uh, yourself, I guess. Um, yeah, my my first kind of instinct is to try and make what's on the page work, and and yeah, for it to fit into the director's vision and, and what the director may have communicated to you. Um, I'm trying to give you specifics, but um, but no, I think yeah. that's that's good. There was like. I'm going to tap into this later with my nugget of the week, but that I saw, um, I was watching something on Drive, you know, that film by uh, Nicholas Winding Refn the other day. And that was just the like... One, uh, is it Ryan Gosling? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I love that movie. It's great. And there's just like a moment where I think Ryan Gosling says something and Kerry Mulligan, she just replies, okay. And it's like in the script, that's a very sort of dry response um, to a sentence when someone's saying something and it might not feel like much, but she's doing it and she's sort of like laughing and sort of shaking her head and it says so much more than just the words are almost irrelevant it's mm. more just like she's giving so much more and I think that's what great actors can do they can it's if you do that work you can like dig beyond like a single frustrating small piece of dialogue or something and and make it have way more life and say more about a relationship um, yeah, well, that's very, the, that's the cool. beauty of subtext as well, you know. <laughs> An okay can mean many, many different things. Mm. Um, I was in a scene uh, in Happy Valley, uh, I think it was in episode one, and I'm in my kind of consulting room, and uh, there's an intoxicated guy who comes in, and um, I've been giving him uh, prescription drugs to sell, you know, uh, on the side and then we're making money that way and um he's completely intoxicated and he says to me just what feels like a very profound thing and he says something like i can't remember what the line is it's something like you're the master or something like that or you're the you're you know uh, he said something very profound and um i remember in in the script it was beat and then my next line was okay and um uh it was i do remember it because you handed you over you hand over some methadone or whatever yeah, in a bag, yeah. And, and i remember yeah. that scene yeah i can't remember what he said it was something he was trying to say something very profound and maybe it was something like this is the future or this is the way and mm. and he gives me a salute and i look at him almost like shaking my head and go okay you're you're completely fucked aren't you <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about and and the subtext of that is is very uh enjoyable to play mm. and so sometimes you might just have an okay or like one word but uh the subtext the subtext kind of opens it up and makes it a very different moment so that yeah that's the power of writing yeah <laughs> yeah and and you, you know in that with that relationship between yourself and the director, can you talk about, like, you know, actors talk about trusting the director, you know, where you can have that titanic moment of knowing that the director is not going to make you look irregular to the character that you're portraying. What is trusting your director and how does a director get your trust? 
So, okay, I'll, I'll talk about playback a little bit because there are some actors who don't like it. Some actors who find it har- probably is harmful. Some some actors who want to see it and don't realise that it's harmful. So playback meaning that they go to the monitor after you've done the take to review what you've just yeah. shot. Yeah. Just for our listeners so they know Sorry, what playback is. Yeah, I should have explained that. But Sorry. yeah, it's... um. Yeah, you play a scene and they cut on the scene and or the shot or the take and uh, yeah, there's an opportunity for the director to go back and, and watch it and see visually how that works. And usually the rule is that the actors don't get to see it uh, unless, for example, they're, they're directing the film as well. But uh, that's quite rare, I guess. There are some actors who find that harmful, some who just don't like it, some who probably want to see it for reasons that are not healthy, but then don't realize that it's harmful. But for my kind of brain, acting on screen is this beautiful juggling act between free creativity and technical discipline. So you've got to find a way to make those two, you know, work together in a very beautiful is it is it synergistic or is it some kind of way that that it's that they completely blend together? That's synchronized. Yeah, and and so you've got to be have your kind of technical hat on, and be aware that it's for screen and there's a frame and what works for that frame. Uh, you've got to have that technical awareness. I don't care, you know, if people say, "Oh no, you don't need it," but in, even in terms of hitting your mark or knowing where you can move in a scene. Uh, in a shot, you've got to have that technical hat on, but um, it, it it can't really affect your creativity in a bad way. So you've got to make those two work together. So sometimes I do a scene and something's not working, or I just need to see how it looks visually and from a technical point of view, and I ask to watch playback and. Uh, a lot of directors will say no, but if you kind, I kind of explain to them, look, it helps me. It helps mm. me be freer because then I don't need to have this um, uncertainty of what's working technically. So uh, if I can just park that and, and um, be aware that that's working, then I, I can be freer on screen. Usually, like. The first scene I do on a project, I sometimes ask, can I just see what you do so that I can help you and you can help me to make this work? So I find it helps, but I I totally respect people who don't want to do that and uh, who don't find it helpful and possibly harmful. I think that kind of helps my relationship with the director and yeah, you have to trust that um, they are watching the performance and that they will pick up on anything that is not working or, or jars. And, you know, if you stumble on something and you say to, you know, after the take, I really stumbled on that. It just didn't feel right. And some, you know, a lot of the time they will say, let's go again, let's go again. Let's, let's, um, find the smoothness of that. And, or sometimes they'll say, yeah, I like the stumble. The stumble works. It was very mm. real, very natural. Uh, and that's how. I kind of develop you know, through interactions like that. I, I develop a, a close, trusting relationship with the director, um, and it's like you know, 
you have to respect their vision and visually what they want into even in terms of performance and how messy you know they may want a really messy performance uh, so yeah you have to respect that and i found always found that you know directors are willing to listen and just you know if you have any concerns they are willing to kind of talk to you about it uh and yeah if you really want to go again or try something new i've now got the confidence to say please can we try it again and i understand you know there are time restrictions it's you know all those things but at the end of the day it's going to be on film man this is going to be there forever exactly Mm. it's going to be there forever um yeah so when when you get on set you're setting up a scene as a director's rehearsal what does that look like um that negotiation with uh the director so you come in with your ideas based on the script and then they're coming in with their ideas how does that usually work for you is it a case of the directors typically prescribe where to start and where to end and then you go from there or do they kind of I know it varies, but how yeah. how does that work for you, that relationship and that dance? And are there times when it's just kind of, we need to go <laughs> do the thing? Look, I mean, look, sometimes before you even step on set, you get rehearsal time, uh, which is in a rehearsal room. And that's sometimes very useful. And, or sometimes you will rehearse on set. And, and there are times when, you know, you don't get either. <laughs> and, the, you know, they say, okay, we've got to get this done. You know what? I, I found those messy scenes where there's no rehearsal in the rehearsal room. There's there's no rehearsal before or in you know extensive rehearsal before you shoot. Sometimes that's like the best scene of the film. Uh, I found that with the, a film I did with uh, Dave Batista. It was um, a, a movie called Final Score. Um, we did the main shoot. And then Dave had an injury, had to go to LA to have surgery, came back uh, a few months later. We did some reshoots. We had like two days. It was a scene in a lift and he just killed someone in the lift. And I was, uh, you know, thrown into this kind of uh, very violent um, situation. And Dave wanted to go off script and... uh, I had to go with him a bit and it was messy and uh, we were stumbling and then I'm talking over each other and I walked away and that was the final kind of, we wrapped us of that and I walked away from that experience thinking, I've really fucked that up there. This film's going to be an awful film. And, you know, it was what it was. But it, um, I remember watching back thinking, firstly, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. And secondly, it actually worked. It was very engaging and compelling to watch because it was real. It was in the moment. It was free. Yeah, that that was uh, a case where we didn't have we didn't get any rehearsal. But in terms of um, you know the, those times when you do get to rehearse, you you would start with a line run and then you'd do the then you'd kind of uh, run it again on your feet. And a lot of the time I found that directors will kind of just let you find your own blocking. You know, sometimes they would say, okay, can we keep you guys in this kind of area? And you'd find your own blocking within that. You know, you might run it again and something might click or you someone might come up with an idea 
and it completely changes. So yeah, you have to make those kind of decisions that you would make in a rehearsal, but for film and TV, I think you have to make them a bit quicker. You know, once you do a few takes, I think as, as actors, we become freer and I find directors normally ask you to try new things and experiment. Oh yeah, I, I worked with a director called Neil Maskell, who's an actor. Oh, he's great. Uh, we did a, a yeah. film, yeah, a film called uh, Clock and Luda, and he would always do one take that was scripted. He wrote the script himself. One take that was scripted, and one take that was ad libbed, and he wouldn't stick to the script. And when he edited it, it was a combination of both, and that was usually, you know, the the routine for each scene. He he would never he would always find time to do an ad lib take, mm. which is great. I mean, yeah, it's really good. That means you know you you've done the scripted scene. You you feel like you've got to terms with it. You've you've found the shape of the scene, uh, and then you just free it up. And if you you you're with other actors who are comfortable with that, and you're in an environment that encourages that, it's so enjoyable. <laughs> That's great. Because he's worked with some really interesting directors, and I, I was at the the screening of Nil by Mouth a while back, uh, the 4K restoration of the BFI, and I was kind of surprised because he was in it. He's like a very, he's almost like a small moment, but it's he brings so much to it, even that like small scene. You're was like, he quite just, young? How old was yeah, he? Yeah, super young. He's super young. Um, he's like playing like a teenage like dude in it. I yeah. think it's at a laundrette. I think he's just causing trouble basically. Um, yeah. but it's, oh, it's Neil Maskell. It's great. Yeah, he was yeah, a child yeah. actor, so yeah, he's been doing it for ages. Yeah, yeah. So when you're on set, you were saying that like, is the blocking ever defined before you get there? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes um, with the DOP, they might um, make certain decisions, and you know, they communicate that to you, and then you make that work. And that's why it's important, I think, to have stuff up your sleeve and and and. I've done you know, you've done your prep, but then always, always expect the curveball. Always expect that something's gonna change or something's gonna be different. And if you have that awareness that that's gonna happen, then you can go, what's that phrase? Move with the punches or I don't know, roll right? with the punches. Roll with the punches, yeah. yeah. But you, you can always adapt um if you have that awareness. Yeah, so sometimes it is kind of they have restrictions or they want it blocked in a certain way or they choose a specific location for a scene yeah it's it's important just to be prepped and to be prepped enough but then not hold on to it so tightly that you so so what is it what is that what what, what is that prep um amit like say we're working together yeah. say you know we've had a chat about the courage so we've got we, we've got we, we know what the scene is what would you go away and do as prep generally yeah. that i wouldn't see so it's similar to going in for an audition or a, a meeting before you get the job. Um, know the lines as well as you can. And uh, I would not learn them in a specific rhythm or have a preconceived way of how you're going to deliver them. Um, you can make, come in with choices that you want to make and suggestions, but always be aware. <clears throat> For me, to that the director's gonna ask you to play in a different way. And and so you just have to have this openness. 
so as well as knowing the, the line so well that you can be open with how you're going to deliver them or what your intention will be. Um, because, you know, the director might come come up to you and say, I want to play this last section like it's a Western and I want to have, have that kind of standoff feel um, to it. Or, you know, an actor might come uh, um, on set and bring on a different vibe that is very interesting but makes you go in a different direction. So it's just having that openness but um know your lines really well but then also is <laughs> another curveball you might have to make a tweak halfway through shooting the scene they someone might come along and say okay can we just change that line i've had i had that on the last job i uh, did you know it was quite wordy i'd learnt it and then the writer was there on set and he said oh can we just tweak that and you just have to be open to making those changes. And you really have to think on your feet. And it's it's what they say is you're waiting in your trailer for hours. And then you get used to that kind of energy. And then on set, you, you suddenly have to be focused and really on it and be able to take multiple notes and be aware of technical stuff. You can never really relax on a film set, even when you're on your in your trailer or waiting for a scene, because you you know that you're just going to suddenly be thrown into it. So that kind of preparation. And then, do you do like preparation as as well beyond that, which is researching if it's a specific thing, like Matthew McConaughey used to, you know does a thing where he taps his chest on. I think it's on Wolf of Wall Street, is it? And, and you know, like the the people do specific things. So do you go do you go in and research that as well if it's something that's in a specific like profession or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally. I mean, but it's always go back to the script. So if there's a reference or a line that you're not getting, that you have to understand what that means. Mm. And if that means researching a, a medical condition because they're referencing a you know a medical term, then yeah, go and do that uh, and come to set with that uh, knowledge and awareness. Um, so that you can really connect with the words and know exactly what you mean. Uh, you know, you might, have, you don't want to be in a situation where you've missed something mm. and um, uh, it's so crucial to how that scene is played. Did you speak to any pharmacists for Happy Valley? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I totally understood um, how easy it was to do this, how risky it was, you know, whether you can get away with it. Uh, pharmacists, they will have like, I don't know whether it's an, an annual, but or a, a six month audit. Some pharmacists, you know, pharmacists can say, you know, oh yeah, there's there's an error here. You know, we, we've lost a few boxes of this. And, and if it's a big enough discrepancy, then that, you know, there can be alarm bells. But if not, then you know, it can be uh, brushed under the carpet, I guess. Or, you know, uh, I, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> full of that, knowledge. <laughs> well, <laughs> if I people mean, want to go down a different yeah, route, yeah. I mean, the, the acting's not working out. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. And, but yeah, the, there was even a BBC documentary about pharmacists who had been caught doing this, you know, selling controlled drugs on the side and then just, you know, putting that down to those. Medicines being lost, and um, so 
yeah, it's, it's important to understand or to, to do your research and understand whether that's a real thing and how believable it is. I like that. You know, speaking about believable, that in that, you know, you'd obviously been involved in some erroneous activities with these two local gangsters or wannabe gangsters rather. And then, and then you actually snap and become that yourself in it. So did you have to like work backwards? Like I need to get to here and I need to make it work so that because obviously you'd have shot out of order as well. Yeah. And you would have relied what, on the... what do you mean by, uh, do you mean that he goes through this chain? Yeah. He goes through yep. this change where he's, he's dabbling in whatever he's doing, like, you know, selling a bit of, bit of pills even there. And yeah. then he actually becomes a murderer. And you see it for the first time. This is a spoiler. We'll have to say this at the top of the episode, Mark, because it's a Happy Valley spoiler episode. <laughs> but, but you know, when when that teacher like nearly touches his car when, the, when, the, when they're yeah. up the hill, that's when you first see Faisal flip. And But before yeah. that, you know, Faisal was quite, a, oh, he's a really nice guy. Like, you know, he's, 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 a, bit, he's, he's a bit out of his depth. He's a fish out of water. And then he's like, he becomes a fucking shark. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, you're right that uh, scenes are shot out of sequence. So you could be shooting a scene in episode six first, and then your your final scenes might be scenes from episode one. So you have to have this awareness of your character's journey, your, your character arc, and, and that's the beauty of it, and being able to plot those points, yeah? where those gear shifts are and how that character changes to the point of being a Heisenberg. And and mm. that's what, you know, I, I was making references to Breaking Bad and, and Walter White and and how he goes through this transformation. The beginning is this pathetic kind of invisible character who blends into the background and something happens and he finds his stepping stones to make him into this very powerful, dangerous character who enjoys these situations. And that's what I was trying to find in those moments of those later scenes. You know, the, the character enjoying the power, mm -hmm. enjoying being in control, because it's nothing, it's not something he's experienced before and he's been deprived of that. And it's what happens to us as humans when. You know, we're deprived of something, we get it, and it becomes very satisfying and enjoyable. You're not a mur you're not a murderer. So, 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 as an actor that we know of, that we, <laughs> that know, we of. know of, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, Sam said there might be some spoilers of his life, but anyway, um, you're not a murderer. You're not someone who dabbles in methadone. So, in your process, Amit, what yeah. are you reaching for to get that believability? translated on screen okay yeah yeah i'm not uh in that sense <laughs> similar to that character but um i know what it feels like to be ignored i know what it feels like to be uh, overpowered by someone i know what it feels like to be threatened and then i know what it feels like to want revenge i know what it feels like to be so frustrated and overwhelmed that you go into a panic and do things in a red mist you know, what, what Sally Wainwright has done is that she's found very um, universal human traits uh, and uh, applied it to this character and his situation. So with the, the writer will create the, the blueprint for all of, these, all of these journeys. And I guess 
Walter White doesn't become Walter White like over the course of one scene. It happens over time. So your job as a, a as a um, actor is to kind of go through and plot those emotional changes, which either happens as a decision point or sometimes as a reaction point through pressure, right? And for a director, you're kind of doing the same. So I guess as a director, you want to be kind of like mapping out the character's journeys alongside conjunction with the writer and with the with the actor. And I guess beyond that, also the first thing you need to do to break it down is also the is to make sure you ascertain all of the facts and questions as well of the script, as you were saying, like, so what does a pharmacist do? Like all the things you're unsure of. And then it's asking all those questions to clarify it. So when you're on set, you understand what's going on. Um, and also yeah. and, and also to add to your thing there, Marcus, that obviously as directors, our schedules might be out of order. So Amit will come to us and say, right, this is a Monday. Yesterday we shot three weeks ago on Friday. Where am I at? Is, 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 yeah. is, is, that, is that true, Amit? Would you, do you sometimes, I mean, obviously you do your own prep and you know where you are, but, you know, I, I feel like in the director-actor relationship, we need to have the answers for you when you're asking yeah, us. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, we we simply need to be on the same page. I think, and uh, Mark, you mentioned you know the director will uh, mark out those plot points or a character arc points for specific characters, and uh, yeah, for an actor, we just want to make sure that we're on the same page. That that transition happens at that moment, and sometimes it's just like a casual conversation, and you know, at breakfast, you just say, "Okay, so um, I've just come from that point." Is it too much that he, I don't know, develops a hatred for this person at this point, or is it just it's bubbling? Uh, you know, how how do you think we should play this? And you just have a kind of a very collaborative conversation, and you know, sometimes it's about finding a happy medium and finding moments that work for both uh, parties. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's just uh, for me, it's. It's having very clear, open communication, uh, making sure the director has time for that and is open to that. And then, yeah, just making sure you guys are on the same page. The character hasn't got to that point yet, so let's hold that back until this scene. You know, there were whole con- discussions with my character in Happy Valley, him uh, having this uh, obsession with, um, I don't know, whether it was a twitch or something with his ha- tapping with his hands and when that comes into play also I was we were trying to find moments where the character took his glasses off uh, to kind of mark a transition because you know you always saw the character with his glasses on and then him taking them off is is quite a, a moment having those open collaborative conversations with the director making sure you guys are on the same page and look I know a director has so many different conversations to have so many different things to consider it's not just your character and they have to see where these transitions fit into the unraveling of the plot and everything so it's such a big jigsaw puzzle you know yeah um, i guess the one thing we can all agree on though is that we all hate tommy lee royce yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah i am but what a gift of a role like what an interesting yeah. part to play yeah yeah um, yeah, it's very confusing. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. It was beautiful. What happened at the end of that? Like, you know that yeah. that 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 scene was. But we won't spoil it fully by going straight into that. Um, yeah, that was what. What I what, j- just to 
take it outside of that and into sort of like the social space, I really liked how when when the show was on, you were active on social media because, you know, Marcus and I experienced this when House of the Dragon was on. Every week there'd be just like so much noise on the internet about it and we'd, and we'd really like it because obviously we were there for the show for all the time it was being made. And I like that you were online as well, like when the show was being set up, you know, because people, p- people were just such fans of it and your character was such a, a big deal in it. It was really great to see. So my question is, Is do you think that in 2023, you know, young actors coming up, someone who might be listening to this that's got kids or whatever, or, you know, someone who young listening to this, do you need to have a social media profile to, to you know, get get somewhere in this game? Do you? Uh, I'm probably the wrong person to ask uh, regarding that. I know we, we spoke about me working for 20 years, but I, I feel like Happy Valley was a different kind of job for me and I've never experienced a kind of um, uh, exposure I think that Happy Valley uh, brought with it and I kind of enjoy that I enjoyed celebrating the show after each episode was out it was really interesting to hear about the reaction and how stressed people were getting and um, how how much people were enjoying the show and yeah, how yeah, engaged yeah. how engaged people were. I think someone had drawn a picture of you next to Heisenberg or with the Heisenberg hat on. Right, I, I, yeah. I remember seeing that a couple of times. Well, yeah, I, I mean, look, I'm sure Sally wanted Faisal character to be very unique and original. Um, but yeah, you are going to find people who are going to make similarities or references, but. Um, do do young people need a social media presence? Um, look, I I heard rumors that, and, and this is mainly from American actors that I've worked with, that um, they've missed out on jobs because some big shot producers got two different choices for a role, and to decide they've looked at how many followers each one has and made a decision based on that. I mean, it, it's sad if that is the case, because that's not what this is about. It's not mm. what the industry is about. I, I feel it's, it's quite gross. Yeah, it just yeah. it takes away from the creativity and end. But you know, look, uh, I was listening to an interview with Jamie Lee Curtis, and I don't know how old she is, but uh, she uses social media as a marketing tool, and she's very open and honest about it, and she's comfortable with that and she says look uh, I'm all about the experience but I totally understand if I would from a producer's perspective that social media is a tool that will allow people or encourage people to go and see your work that's what we're doing it right I mean we all want to kind of do the work because we get something out of it but it's for an audience so yeah, she was very open about that. And I've used social media for personal things. Like now I'm kind of more focused on just, you know, I'm not Facebook, but it's like using social media to promote work and use it as a marketing tool. And that can be done at specific times. But when you're on set, when you're doing the work, you're there to create the work. Um, so it's very important to make that distinction I feel um, and not get carried away with social media but yeah it's always going to be about the work it's you when I get a script by the end of the shoot 
there's just notes everywhere and i've changed plot point, like points where the character uh, sorry the character arc um moves along and i've experimented with different actions and intentions and cross bits out and it's just it's all about from taking it from the script to the screen and lifting it off the page and making it very visually engaging great love that in in your opinion you're a prolific actor you've worked with many different directors um what makes a good director it? if you're doing a comedy or even if you're not you know someone who walks away from the monitor after watching a scene and he's got energy and he's excited about what they've seen and that just feeds yeah you know, it kind of spreads to everyone I've uh, I've worked with uh, David Yates who did all the Harry well some of the Harry Potter thing um movies and the Fantastic Beast movies and we were shooting a film for Netflix in Atlanta and you know he's from I don't know Sussex and he's you know in America doing his thing and he watches a scene and and he starts kind of he says cut and then he kind of starts skipping around and he's got this energy and he's excited about that uh that shot and he he wants to improve on it and there yeah, that energy that a director brings is is so important that and, and knowing that they're enjoying what they're seeing on the screen or on the monitor uh it gives you encouragement and it gives you uh confidence i think that's that's good to hear and that comes down from being on top of the craft and being prepared kind of freeing yourself up to even have that emotion rather than mm. fighting the stress of being on set and allowing yourself to enjoy it like exactly you can enjoy it like as a director you can enjoy watching something on the monitor even if it's yeah. like i can't believe we we brought this group of people yeah, together yeah. And we're doing this um, it's a miracle to make a film yeah it's a fucking miracle so it's, it's a blessing that you're even on the fucking thing looking at a monitor to get that money together to get that group of people together to take time out um you know if you're investing it um there's a lot there's a long process and to get to that point of being on set yeah okay and for the final question of this segment we want to know how do you stay emotionally resilient because it's a very very tough industry as you know um and we we both know lots of actors who uh, extremely extremely talented and they're still waiting for their first break so how do you deal with the daily grind um and rejections and near misses and all that sort of thing and keep the faith i'll be honest with you i'm still struggling with it i'm i'm really struggling even uh, a couple of days ago i i'd been auditioning for maybe 10 different projects i hadn't heard back from any of them suddenly uh, two days ago an offer comes in and you just feel your everything's lifted a bit for a moment and sometimes it's just acknowledging that it is going to be a roller coaster but what i'm trying to work on is these coping mechanisms or techniques that you can use you know sometimes they won't work but you, at least you feel like you're trying something that um when times are tough and and you're feeling low then you can try something to help you manage that moment or that period of time. Uh, and and when you are on top and you're in 
in work and enjoying the work you're doing, it's always in the back of your mind uh, thinking, I wasn't here you know, a few months ago or a few weeks ago, and I, I probably won't be here in a couple of days, but um, uh, am I enjoying myself? Yes, I am. And uh, I'm, this is a memory that I'm going to keep. And sometimes I almost have to remind myself, okay, where are you right now? Which room are you in? What time is it? Who are you looking at? Uh, I'm going to almost photocopy this moment mm. uh, so that I'm aware that I've, I've, I'm here, I've got here. And um, there's always <clears throat> the possibility of experiencing something like that again. It's really tough. I, I, I guess it's about also, and this is a conversation I had with my agent when I first joined her about a year ago, just keep your head down and produce good work. Try to block out the, the other stuff. Keep going. Keep producing. Even if it's uh, for auditions and you're not getting anywhere, make sure that you're producing good work or work that you feel that you're proud of. Just keep going. And that's that's all you, you're going to have control over. I, I always feel shit or, or crap when I walk away from an audition or a meeting or, or even a filming experience and... I didn't explore everything and I, mm. it, you know, sometimes it goes bad and, but I can say to myself, what, what can I do? I, I, I did everything that was in my power. I used the time in the best way I could to produce good work. I'm not going to be ashamed of that. I'm going to hold on to that, that I'm doing what I can to produce good work. We're, we're humans, man. We're, we're never going to be perfect every single moment of every day. Yeah, I, I think I need to hold on to that <laughs> to get me through, really. Amazing. I think that's a perfect way to end. Yeah. Uh, thank you so thank much you. for that chat. Thank you. I think we're going to move on to our, our next segment now, which is A Week in the Life. So if you've not listened to the podcast before, A Week in the Life is our way of demystifying the nonsense of social media which shows everyone's highlights because uh, life is not like that and even if you are winning it feels really slow in between so yeah we'd just like to ask how has your week been I mean what's what's been going on what have you been doing it could be as boring as you like I mean I'm trying to remember what's happened <laughs> do you know what I'm gonna have to look at my calendar I'm so sorry that's, that's this, what this I do is... every week I go through my calendar I'm like nothing that day nothing that day okay oh, I got out of bed that day yeah yeah <laughs> All right, so Sunday was my dad's birthday, and he loves ABBA, so we went to see ABBA. Oh, sick. so that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, he was a he was yeah, he loved music in the seventies. So um, then Monday they flew to Kenya to see some family, and it was just I was looking after their family business, um, doing stuff that I wouldn't choose to do myself. Uh, feeling a bit crap, I guess, because. I've been, as I said, auditioning for all these different projects and hadn't heard back. Um, I guess feeling a bit of a an anticlimax after Happy Valley, it, you know, it had come and gone. Uh, it was great whilst it lasted, and now I felt, oh, I'm back to where I was in terms of the industry. But then, uh, not yesterday, the day before, uh, I got a job offer, and yeah, all these kind of doors have opened a little bit and you're focused on 
yeah, that opportunity. And um, so I guess what I would say is that you just never know what's going to happen in your week. Uh, you wake, uh, I started to wake up every day thinking something could happen today. Um, yeah. And then uh, it, it allows you to just make things a bit more manageable and, and uh, have a bit more of a positive, optimistic outlook. I like to kind of during the week check in with friends who are very positive and Sam Barron has been one, you know, he's one of them. So yeah, it's, it's one of those weeks where, you know, you're experiencing highs and lows and things that are unexpected as well. And, and yeah, just being able to, uh, be present with all that. Hmm. That's really beautiful. And how about yours? What's been going on? Um, so Ramadan started this last week, so I've had a couple of failed attempts of trying to fast and failed, <laughs> failed miserably because I got a really bad headache and I couldn't function and I was like, right, I need to uh, break my fast. But I'm back on the horse now. And Mark, you probably remember that because the last two Ramadans I've been with you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my car was in the garage. Uh, then I found out that... Uh, think to the listeners, if you don't buy fucking hybrid cars, no matter what they are, BMs, Mercs, whatever, don't buy hybrid cars because if something goes wrong with them, it is so expensive. I got uh, I got told that to fix my car, it's a hybrid, it's going to cost two grand to do the unit. I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. Uh, so I don't, I, don't, I don't actually use the charging bit now. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Did a bit of teaching yesterday, uh, as I do every week, and that was good. And just been in prep for the shot that we're doing. That actually, uh, Amit, you know that you know the, one of the producers that's on it. Uh, I'm going to drop his name because he's going to love it that I've dropped his name. Uh, Guy Lindley. Yeah, so, Guy. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy, Guy's producing on it. Um, so Guy produced um, Big Ears. Yes, he did. Yeah. yeah, yeah oh, yeah. great. Great. Yeah, so we've just been in prep for that and we're probably going to, we might have to push the shoot a little bit, but it's looking good. It's looking good. Can I have a cameo, man? Yeah, he, he, he said to us when we, were, when we were doing things, he goes, well, I know Amit. And then he said it again, I know Amit. It's like, yeah, yeah. We, we, we knew you know I'll, I'll pester him for a cameo for you, sure, man. <laughs> Wicked. And Marcus, how about you? I anticipate this is going to be busy, bro, because trying to pin Marcus down this week has been difficult. Yeah, it's it's, it's been popping off. I've taken way too much on. Um, so Disney have been treating us well. And so I got to go on like a set visit around Pinewood. That was really fun. Um, cool. So I got to see all the sets there and the creature workhouses and stuff. Um, I did a talk at the NFTS when I was, for whatever reason, I was burnt out. Basically, is how busy I've been. Absolutely burnt out. And I dragged myself to do this talk anyway. And I was literally like head in hands, like apologizing to everyone the entire time. Like, I'm not disinterested. I'm just really ill. <laughs> I've literally thrown up twice on the way there. Oh, I was yeah. like, <laughs> so bad, but I don't like letting people down. Um, so I did that. I then relaxed on Sunday and kind of tried to recover in one day. An acting workshop on Monday. That was fun. And then for the past few days, I've just been doing materials for this short film that I'm working on, uh, one with Disney. So I've, I've been um, trying to create. <laughs> so I'm basically, I'm doing the weirdest film I could possibly think of. And it involves like a creature, uh, which obviously doesn't exist in a whole, it's set in the middle of space in a blank room. It's ridiculous. And so usually what happens in a short is that you see things in your head and no one really gets it, but it's still real world. But now because none of it exists, I can't even reference anything. <laughs> so I'm having to like work really hard using lots of animal references and things to try and get people on the side so they understand what I'm even trying to talk about. Wow. Man. Um, so that's <laughs> been going on. And then also 
trying to do a podcast at the same time. Um, That's been really, and- really interesting because, um, it, you know, we knew we know we knew we had you coming in on Friday, and um, you know, and we had to edit two episodes as well to get to get to get ready as well, and it was just yeah, it was a, it was a lot, but you know, we we got through it, we worked it out. So it's 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 been unusually intense. So the the podcast is relatively quite new, right? How many episodes are out? It's it's new, but we've recorded. You're our seventeenth recording. Wow. Yeah. So we've been actually at this since the back end of last year, November. It okay. was started. Um, yeah, we've got lots and lots and lots of guests. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like when people are, we're getting a lot of good response from from people online, and we, we're just like, there's so much more to come. Like yeah. this is just me. The first two episodes were just me and Oz talking shit between us, but <laughs> we know we've got like great guests, like such as you, and like various others, like dropping knowledge and like life experience and stuff. And we know that's all to come. So yeah, it's very exciting. I guess yeah, for a lot of directors, they're going to experience it on the job and um, working with different types of actors, but. This is great, you know, to give people kind of those stories and, and references um, and experiences that they can kind of draw on when, when they're working with actors for the first time or, yeah, yeah. early on in their career. Yeah, 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 exactly that. And so our final section is Nugget of the Week. So we listen to lots of podcasts, we watch lots of stuff on YouTube, we read books and do all sorts of fun stuff. And we just like to throw that back out to the audience and let people know what has inspired them this week. So Amit, if you could tell us what has inspired you this week. So I went to see The Whale uh, in the cinema, which I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the whole film, actually. I know some people had some reservations about the film, but loved the performance. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I got a lot from it. And then I started watching some interviews and um, some YouTube videos with Darren Aronofsky. And... Um, he gave this quote uh, in this, I think it was a podcast, and I found it very interesting and I was able to relate to it and um, apply it to my experience with some of the shorts I've done with Sam. And the quote he gave was, the more honest you can be about the specificity of a subject matter, the more universal it can be. Or become and uh, it took me a while to kind of understand that and yeah understand what he meant by it but i i was able to relate it to the film we made called big ears that sam and i made and so we were being very honest and exposing and open about the specificity of my ears the size of my ears and what that meant to me growing up and what that meant to me now as an adult and it's a very unique and specific thing to me but we really focused in on that and uh, as a result we found with when we were screening the film that was uh, what made it very universal because it was it was a reference point that it kind of allowed people to relate in terms of things that they might feel insecure about or things that they feel have held them back in life, uh, things that they're embarrassed about and are not uh, a positive feature of themselves. Um, and yeah, I mean, he was, uh, Aronofsky was obviously relating it to the character in The Whale 
but I found that quote very interesting. And yeah, the, the more honest you can be about the specificity of a subject matter, the more universal it can become. Uh, mm. And yeah, it just made me think. And I think I, it's something that I will continue to think about you know, as I continue to work. Brilliant. It was a very, it was a very, very honest film. That I think that really, really translated. I was saying this to Guy the other day that there's just something that's honest about it that goes beyond what's on what you're watching on screen, and you, and, it, and it really resonates with you. Um, so yeah, fantastic. Yeah, Marcus. Mm, thank you. Um, yeah, mine is a YouTube video, as most of mine are. But there's a <laughs> channel called Behind the Curtain. Um, and it was the unknown story of writing Drive. And I think, I mean, it's, it's a cool film anyway. It's the one which kind of put lots of people in on radars, such as the director and, and the actor even more so. Um, but I think what was interesting about it was um, there's, there's a moment in it where they're saying they were writing the thing about the getaway driver, the the security guard at Universal was basically saying that there's no point doing a, a film now with a getaway driver because helicopters can just spot the cars. And so like they went away and was like thinking about ways in which they could evade a helicopter. And then that, I think they were just walking around and kind of went through a crowded area and it kind of hit them. It was like, what happens if they went into an underpass or something and then it, it was crowded. So that's how they kind of settled upon the opening heist where they evade the helicopter by going into the Staples Center as the game is finishing. So it's time. So then they can then put on their disguise and walk free amongst thousands of people. That's a way of dealing with a note in a really sort of like constructive way which ultimately makes the film so much fucking better when you're thrown restrictions that's how you should think about them it, it tests your creativity in ways which you can't possibly think of it, it just makes everything so much better so yeah that that was really inspiring and it's a cool video just to get a sense of behind the curtain um, yeah behind the curtain yeah, yeah, yeah what's the title of it the unknown story of writing drive and it's basically Great. like a cut up conversation with the writer of it yeah it digs into white got green lit and stuff based off of the log line of stunt driver by day getaway driver by night that's how it got sold but obviously there's not much driving in it when it gets to the final thing so that's the whole thing um but yeah very cool, cool. and how about you Oz? um so mine is uh, uh is perspective in life and i've i've not i'm not going to say no names but i've got permission of the person to say this so it's interesting that we're talking to Amit about big ears, but what a, a creative friend of mine who I've worked very closely with for the last six months uh, found out two days ago that they've been diagnosed with cancer, and during that moment I was like stressing about whatever, and then they text me and said to me, no, they messaged me in a meeting. They said I need to speak to you tomorrow, and I was like, why don't you just call me tomorrow? You don't need to set up a discussion with your mate. And then when I rang, and then they told me, I was like, wow, and then. I had to get off the phone because I was I was driving. I wasn't. I, I, they were on speakerphone, and during that drive, I was just I was just thinking about like your problems don't really matter. Like nothing really matters. Like what you've got to find the things that actually do matter in life, and it isn't any of the shit that you're pissed off about. So yeah, so that was my nugget of the week was for everyone in there, you know, listeners to just get some perspective on what it is that really truly matters to you because it really did. It really did kind of like change how I was feeling about whatever mm. I was annoyed about. 
but we're hoping that it's early anyway, not 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 ending it on a downer. Um, and and everybody is remaining positive about it anyway. And it reminds you, I guess, yeah, how short life is, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, yeah, we, it's so easy to get carried away with career and obsessed with climbing the ladder, and sometimes, yeah, things like that really remind you of other things that are important in mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All of this stuff is great, but ultimately, it's a, it can't be. Can't define you, can it? Of yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's why all the things outside of this is important, like mm. the, the hobbies and and the people around you and things. Um, cool. It feels quite gross to <laughs> pop into podcast mode again now, um, but I think that concludes the episode. Um, thank you so much, Amit. That was brilliant. Brilliant. No worries. Um, Thanks, guys. Yeah, Thank you. that was super, super helpful. So, yeah, if anyone does happen to be listening, which we know they are now, get your questions in at the directors take at outlook.com. And we want you to tell us what you want to know about directing or the film industry at large, and we'll do our best to tell you. Have we actually had any emails, if anyone? Yeah, we've had loads, mate. Hundreds. Brilliant. Can someone email us, please? Just so we've got something <laughs> in the inbox. Um, we want to share this as a resource for you so do get your questions in and reach out to us on Instagram which is the Directors Take podcast and reach out to us on Twitter which is at Directors Take Amit where can people find you? Uh, where can they find me? They can find me on the streets uh, no no <laughs> uh, selling pharmaceutical drugs <laughs> <laughs> putting people in some uh, cases uh, yeah I'm, I'm on Twitter and Insta but um, I've really enjoyed this guys you guys uh, are doing such a great podcast so yeah, and and putting good information out there is it's so important, and it's good to talk to articulate, interested humans. You know, it's 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 great. So thank you for having me. Thank you. No worries at all. Um, to anyone also listening, please do share the podcast. It's it's it helps so much to get the word out. So yeah, I think that's it. Until next time, keep learning, keep failing, and keep the faith.